John chapter 15 from verse 1 to 11. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. Here is the word of God. I am the true vine. Excuse me. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. Let me try it one more time. This is the word of God. Let us pray together, brothers and sisters. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. <clears throat> I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I need thee every hour. Most gracious one. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour, in joy or in pain. Come quickly and abide, or else life, life will be in vain. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Father, we stand in need of you, Father. We stand in need of you today, much more than ever before. 
break upon us in mercy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let your word be a blessing to us today. Let your word equip us today. Let your word heal us today. Let there be uh, a converting grace in your word. Let there be a healing balm from Gilead through the agency of the preached word today. Oh, let Satan and his agents run out of this environment because of your word today and subdue the power of the enemy and let your name be highly exalted among your people today. Take my lips, take my heart, take my being and use it. Your word is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to your seats. If you are familiar with the book of John, particularly the I am saying of Jesus, this should be the last I am saying uh, of Jesus. I am the way, uh, I am the bread of life. Uh, I am, so there are a lot of I ams uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of John. This should be the last I am. And this teaching comes uh, in the upper room, this is the upper room discourse. The upper room discourse begins from verse what? Verse 13, I think, yeah. Verse 13, 14, 15, down to his arrest. So uh, they were locked in the room and Jesus had been talking to his disciples like, like there's some, there are some spaces, come forward. Yeah, there are some spaces here, yeah. Please, Ima, please make way for Get seats for some of those who are coming. Yeah, thank you. So they have been locked in. The disciples and, and Jesus were, were, they came together, and then he's, he's talking to them. At this point, his public ministry kind of wind down. And then he's talking to his disciples uh, like, like one-on-one. And this is where they will be until his arrest and crucifixion. Now, when you come to, when you come to chapter 15 of the book of John, I want to calm down. Okay, listen, I want to, there's a lot of calming down because of a few now are becoming theolo- theologians in this, in this church. Uh, and I don't want trouble. Okay, I don't want trouble. This is an allegory. For some of you that went to school, how do you pronounce allegory in the proper way? Is it allegory? Yeah? Come on. Okay. Yeah, remember, how do you pronounce allegory? Oh, you raise your hands, eh? <laughs> okay, want to, should I, because I don't want to say allegory. See, this pastor, where did you come from, self, eh? So how do you pronounce allegory? Allegory, okay? It's just it's an allegory. Uh, or like, allegory is, is a type of a metaphor. So Jesus is using uh, 
vine, the, the, the allegory of vine to, you are checking online, eh? It's allegory. You even check the pronunciation now, no. You know it. Yeah. Up you. <laughs> this church, eh? It's allegory, okay? I mean, if you say allegory, it's like saying January. Or is, it, is it January or January? Is it February or February? Is it February or February? February. Is it February or February? You don't know. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to the scripture. It's an allegory. There are different types of allegory or allegory. One is a biblical uh, allegory. A biblical allegory is, uh, is, is, is one that is before us, taking a picture, uh, something that's like, uh, vine, fig, something to communicate a, a deeper spiritual truth in a way that people can understand. <clears throat> but this is not the same thing as <coughs> allegorical preaching. Excuse me. In the Middle Ages, particularly in Africa, in North, North Africa, there is, a, there is a type of preaching that develops, particularly with origin, uh, origin, Athanasius, uh, and co. The North Africa fathers were good with what they call allegorical preaching. Allegorical preaching has to do with you, <clears throat> everything in the Bible seems to you like an allegory that does have a spiritual meaning instead of a literal historical interpretation of the scripture. Sorry, am I too fast? I want you to understand. Now, what we do here, basically, sometimes I do do allegorical preaching, I believe it's a great heritage. If you know how to do allegorical preaching in a healthy way, particularly if the scripture itself, the scripture you are looking at say it is an allegory. Remember, there's a place in the book of Galatians when Paul was looking at uh, uh, Sinai uh, and Zion and said, this is an allegory, okay? And said, Egypt is, Hag is Hagar, or Sinai <coughs> is Hagar, and those of... So, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, guys. My voice is not very good today. So if the scripture itself points to the fact of allegory, you can't run away from it. But generally, what we do here is what they called in, in hermeneutics, what they call is it a historical, grammatical, and what? My students, what do we do here? In expository preaching. Yeah? Yes. You know, yes, in your exegesis, what are you doing? You are doing literal, historical, uh, and grammatical uh, interpretation of the Bible. What that means is that when you open the Bible, you must first of all understand that the Bible was not written to you. It was not addressed to you. So the book of Galatians were addressed to the church in Galatia, primarily. So you must find, you must look at that in its historical and literal meaning. For instance, the word joy is joy. In the, is, there's nothing. The word vine is vine. So you don't have to spiritualize and say, okay, vine, the V, oh, sorry, the, let me give you an example. Uh, David picked up five 
smooth stones from the brook and by it, it killed uh, Goliath. And then you now say, those five smooth stones refer to who? See, you have been there before. Bad people. So five mean Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. And then some pastors will tie their belt and then they are talking about it. Give me J, J. And then, and all those stuff. That's, that, is, that is wrong. The five smooth stones means five stones. Simple. Once you start going through that route, you are being heavily allegorical and it's not helpful. Okay? Because the name of Jesus is called Yeshua. <laughs> and if you spell Yeshua, it's much more than five letters. Okay, Jesus is the, this is the anglicized, yeah, from the Latin uh, Jesus, and then from Yeshua. In fact, Jesus and Joshua are, are the same. So Joshua, Jesus is the same. And what is the house name for, for Joshua? Yeah? Is it Isa? Is it not Yusuf? Yusuf is Joseph. Yeah, Yusuf is Joseph, eh? So, so, no. So, if it comes to a different, different languages, if, how are you going to square five? Because if it's Isa, Isa is three. Then the stone is short with two. <laughs> because we are reading Hausa Bible now, and then <clears throat> Joshua is, is Isa. And then what do I do with the remaining two stones? Yeah, so be very careful. This is an allegory. So that you are not going to sit down here this morning and then you are figuring out, you want to load everything into this allegory. I said, okay, the branches, okay, Jesus is the, is, Jesus is the vine. Okay, we are the branches. Okay. And they begin to load in theological concept like, can a believer lose his salvation? That is not the intention here. We can go to another passage of the scripture to look at the preservation of believers. Uh, the, so, so please be careful not to load a lot of things into allegory. So this is a biblical allegory. The, a classical allegory, give me an example of a classical allegory. Plato, uh, the, and, and the classical one is the, the cave. The way you are looking at me. How many of you have not read the cave? You, should, you have not read Plato. Okay. And then things like, and then there are modern allegory. The modern allegory will look like uh, George Orwell, uh, Animal, uh, Animal Farm. Now, how many of you have read Animal Farm? <laughs> now, if you read Animal Farm, the pig, the big pig, what is his name again? Eh? Snowball. Who is, who is Joseph Stalin in Animal Farm? Hmm? You see, hey, George. You guys should go back to school again and start buying books, eh? Who is Joseph Stalin in Alma Farm? It's been long. Excuses, eh? <laughs> now, but we know, when we look at the, the image or the figure of that pig, the bigger one, uh, is, is, is the George Orwell referring to Joseph Stalin communism. It does not mean that Joseph Stalin was a pig. But if you read Animal Farm, you know exactly whom is the system that George Orwell is referring to. 
So the idea here in chapter 15 is to communicate one thing and one thing only. To, to emphasize the necessity and the reality of our union with Christ. That apart from believers' communion with Jesus, we can do nothing. Not that we can do some few things. We can do how many things? Apart from Christ. That we are organically joined with Christ. And it is through that reality that we can bear fruit. So this must be understood in the context of the upper room discussion. The immediate or the, the surrounding context shows that Judas Iscariot, uh, a part of the twelve, has been yanked off of the community. And it is because Judas was the, the son of perdition that he, he did what he did, that the scriptures must be fulfilled. And the, it is not to suggest that the rest of the disciples will fall away, is that he's showing them the consequences of not abiding in Christ. And Judas will be the immediate example of being around Christ, being in his church, but not really, really connected to him in a saving way. There are three things I want to quickly discuss with you, and then I will be out of your way. The first thing that chapter 15 wants us to understand is, who is Jesus? And that has been the recurrent motive in the book of John, to show us the authentic Jesus, so we can put our trust in him, and by believing in him, we might be saved. Because if you put our trust in the wrong Jesus, there will be no salvation. So who is he in this passage? Verse 1, he said, I am the true vine. I don't have to talk about the I am title, ego, me title for Jesus. That is the same title for Yahweh in the Old Testament. I am that I am. Showing that Jesus and God are the same. They are, we don't have three gods. We have one God that exists in how many persons? Three persons. Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I am the vine. Jesus is the true vine. And this is very important, church. You remember, this is not the first time the word vine is used in the Bible. The entirety of the Old Testament is packed with this picture, this imagery of vine, as it relates to the, the covenant community of Israel. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, please turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Jeremiah. Actually, it's after Isaiah, okay? Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 
21. Yet, I planted you a choice vine, holy, pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate? Israel was not just anyhow vine, but a choice vine, but became degenerate. And this picture will become more clear to you when you turn to Psalm 80. Can you turn to Psalm, Psalm 80 with me? And then I will explain this. Psalm 80. You can read from verse 1, but let me read from verse 14. Psalm 80. <clears throat> Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. Referring to the stock that your right hand planted. And for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burnt it with fire. They have cut it down. Same language in John. And then they perish at the rebuke of his face. But look at verse 17. Here now is referring to Jesus. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand. The son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. And then continuing. You remember Israel uh, were called out from pagan community to be the covenant people of God. That through Abraham and his descendants, the entire humanity may come to know God. But Israel, the ethnic nation Israel, failed completely. And they were not able to provide that means of salvation for the entire world. But if you are familiar with the Old Testament scripture, you will understand that Jesus was actually the real Israel of God. I hope you understand that the entire community of Israel were a foreshadow of Christ. Israel were pointing to Jesus. Their failure will be the contrast of the victory of Christ. And if you think I'm saying something out of the book, I think Matthew chapter 2 re-emphasized that. When Jesus was sent to Egypt because of the fear of uh, who? Of Herod, the writer of Matthew tells us so, so that the scripture might be fulfilled that out of Egypt I call out my son. So Jesus, so the, the vine, the, the ethnic nation Israel became corrupt and then, but God was working through them for the Messiah to come. 
And him having come is making an announcement to Israel that I am the true vine. It means it is only in him now that all the nations of the world will be blessed. Some of the hymns we sing come down founts of every blessing. Every blessing, every source of life is found, it should be found in this vine. Not Israel anymore. I know some of you have uh, opinion about, about Israel. There are some of you that think there are two tracks of salvation, one for ethnic Israel and one for the church. I don't have time to talk about that this morning. Uh, but but the, the, the scripture is, Jesus is the true vine. And all those who are true believers are the branches. Who is Jesus? He is the vine. He is the source of life. He is the source of our salvation. He is the planting of the almighty God. So that we that were at one point in our life dry sticks and the word sticks here is Calvin. Calvin said, before we came to Christ, we were sticks. And then we were grafted into Christ. This, we read Romans, it talks about the Gentiles being grafted into the Jewish community. But salvation cannot be found with Israel. Salvation is found only in Christ, the true Israel of God. That is who he is. He is not one of the species of vine out there. The, the, the tree called vine, I don't know. What, what do I use an example for you now? I don't know. We don't have it here locally. Do we have it in, in Plateau State? I, don't, I, I doubt. But just assume we are talking about a particular plant okay, called vine. Okay? So he is the vine. Every other vines are fake. He is the true vine. He is the true source of salvation. You must know that. Apart from him, there is no salvation. You know, Roman Catholic Church during the medieval era says, apart from the church, there's no salvation. But we say, apart from Christ alone, there is no salvation. For there is no salvation in any other except through Christ. He is the true vine. And we can thank God for that reality. The first thing I want us to learn is who Jesus is. He is the true vine, the true Israel in whom believers have found life. In the second place, what does God, what, we want to look at the activity of God what God does in this passage. What God does. We've looked at who is Jesus. Let's look at what God does. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear much fruit. So God is the planter of this vine yard. He is the vine dresser. And immediately, what that communicates to us is expectation. There's no farmer 
that goes to the farm and does not expect fruits. How many of you have farmed before? Let me see your hand. I know some of you are Jebot. Huh? I thought all of you are Jebotas in the church. You too? Ima, you've been to the farm before? Ima? You've been to the farm before? As what? As, as, as a supervisor? Or as a farmer? <laughs> I'm talking of farm. Me, I'm talking of subsistence, subsistence farming. Where you will farm. And when you are coming back from the Tell me why you <coughs> So Dr. Foy, okay, you go to the farm now. Your son say you go to the farm. <laughs> See, if you go to tell me why if you've been to the farm, eh? You will not be like this. <laughs> yeah. Every farmer expects farmers are not uh, decorators. It's only white men that go to the farm just to everything is flowers in their eyes. We don't have flowers. We, we here, when we go to the farm, we are not playing. We are looking for something. Same idea with God. When God, when the Bible says God is a vine dresser, a vine dresser is looking for something. It's looking for fruits. So God is the planter. And I, and I think I'll be saying some things along the way because this particular scripture is quite delicate. If God is the planter of Jesus, does that not communicate inferiority between God the Father and God the Son? That is not the issue here. And by the way, I can, I can just run through that. God being the planter and Jesus being the plant does not communicate inferiority in the Godhead. There is no inferior persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-essence. But they are distinct in their personality. In fact, I think it should be, uh, is it Philippians that tells us, Philippians 2.6, hmm? that Jesus was in the form of God, and to call himself equal with God is not a robbery. I hope you understand. So, but in the redemptive economy, what we call Trinitarian economy, God the Father initiates the work of redemption. God the Son accomplishes the work of redemption. And God the Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption to the elect. It will take you one million years to understand what I have just said. The way you are looking at me, you blank, eh? It is God the Father that sent God the Son. God the Son never sent God the Father. You see the order. The order in their functions, the order in their work. How do we explain that? Men and women are the same. Hmm? Yes. We are equal before God. But in terms of our function, we differ. At least I hope there are no Americans in this church because I want to still live longer. Eh? If you say this thing now in some countries, you go to GS, different church. Yes. If you say that men and women are different, you'll be in trouble. Anyway, let me just digress. Some countries are crazy. There's one footballer that beat up his cats and he has paid 
the government has fined him 250,000 pounds sterling for beating the cat. Good or bad? Do you know in this country, if you beat up your wife and go to a police station, what do you think they will tell you first of all? They say, Madam, until they talk. How do they not go beat you? Look at the way you are talking. Some of you that are white bitter, don't go and live in some other country, so we'll visit you in the prison, eh? God the Father is the one that sent God the Son. Another thing that God is doing here is that he's looking after this vineyard and he's checking it out. Every branches that is not producing fruit, he does what? He cuts it away. And every branches that is doing well, he also cuts it, but with a different intention. He prunes it so that that branch can bear much fruit. I hope you understand what God is doing here. So God is always looking after his own people, after what, and then he's cutting, he's doing the cutting, he's, 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 he's dressing this vine properly. So things are not just working on his own. I hope you understand that even as community of believers, we are not autonomous. This is the church of who? Who owns this church? This is the church of the living God. As, as I'm speaking to you now, as you live around the community of believers, God is either cutting you off or he's pruning you. So he can get fruits. Because the bottom line of being a Christian is fruitfulness. There is no fruitless Christian. It is, it is, it is, it, it, there is no fruitless Christian. If a person is a Christian, he bears fruits. Of course, he bears fruits, most fruits, and even more fruits. God is the owner of his vineyard. Let me run to my points today. Then who are we? We are branches, isn't it? We are not divine. Even your favorite apostles are not divine. Who is divine? Christ. And we are branches. It means we don't, we are not on our own. The disciples, the nature of our salvation points to our, our dependence, not independence. There's no human autonomy concept when it comes to our redemptive reality. And there are three things I want to pull out from who we are here from these passages. The first thing is the reality we must celebrate. And the first reality we must celebrate is that we are joined to Christ. We are joined to him. We, he is divine and then we are the branches. We are part of him. And because we are part of him, we draw nutrients from the source. What feeds us was not the feeding of a third party. I don't know, I've lost you this morning. Eh? You know, you are looking at me. Eh? You are not really following what I'm saying. Why okay, are you following what I'm saying? Believers are not fed through third parties. They got their food from who? 
from Christ directly. And we must celebrate that. You know, recently we have some fuel in town that is adulterated. Somebody say, no be me, na that company, now you go to a bad job and then, and then, and then oh, believers, there's no, there's no third party between us and Jesus. They are drawing nutrients from God, from Jesus directly. Because they are, they are already clean. Look at verse 3. They are already, you are clean. Uh, because of the word that I have spoken to you, they have, been, they have been cleansed already. They are joined to Christ. And Eliezer was mentioning our union with Christ with the Sunday school. The second thing we must celebrate is that as believers, we will bear fruit. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We will bear fruit. It's also in verse 2. Any every branch that is in me does bear fruit. And even much, look at verse 8, much more than or verse 5. Verse 5 said we'll bear much fruit. And verse 8 said we'll be, uh, no, verse 5 said we'll bear more fruit. And then verse 8 said we'll bear much fruit. We are joined together with Christ. And he, he releases nutrients to us. And then we bear fruit. In the second place, the responsibility we must never play down. You know, all of these things that I've mentioned to you happen in our justification. Christ called us to himself without our input. We're saved by grace alone, not by works. But now that we are in him, there are some theology out there, some preaching out there that suggests that if you are a Christian, insurance covers you. That you can go on and do anything you like with your life and nothing will happen to you. There's a responsibility that we must never play down. If you play it down, we are antinomians at its best. So Jesus, we're looking at the apostles in the face and he tells them, Abide in me. Stay in me. Stay with me. Stay in me. Remain connected to me. I am the fountain of your life. Second responsibility. Bearing of fruits. And I think these fruits particularly some commentator will say this fruit refers to maybe soul winning. If I go out, I preach the gospel. One person come to the faith. This, of course, they are part of it. But I think it refers to the fruit of the Spirit, particularly as they were mentioned in chapter 5 of Galatians. Joy, love, peace, long-suffering, endurance, faithfulness. A Christian must bear those fruits. And if we continue to abide in him, we will bear more of those fruits and much, much more of those fruits. And these fruits are not ground for our justification. These fruits are not ground for our justification. 
the fruits that Christian bears are not the consequences of their salvation. They are the results of their salvation. They are the necessary consequences of their salvation. If I have been saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there must be fruits, evidence, evidence, fruits that must be seen in my life, the fruits of a changed life. Because, brothers and sisters, we have been saved unto good works. And I'm quoting Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We have been saved. We are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus to works, to good works. Because uh, uh, the, 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 the faith that saved us is not standing alone. It is proven by good works. In the third place, the warning that we must never ignore. The warning that we must take seriously. And that is where the challenge may really come for us this morning to understand this concept. Say, so every branch in me that refused to bear fruit, I take away. I think I was talking to Eliza within the week. I said, This is so difficult. Eh? Every branch in me. It means I can be in Christ and then I'm not bearing fruit and then Christ will cut me away. If that happened, a lot of scripture will turn it upside down. I think what Jesus is meaning is saying here is in the context of Judah's situation is that you can be in church, you can be in the visible body of Christ. All of us here are called the body of Christ. Okay? This is the visible church called the body of Christ. But not every single person here this morning is saved. We don't know who is saved. We bring you into church membership by your testimony and by what we can observe. But that does not confer validity. We don't know who is elect. We don't know. So this warning particularly is for those who are playing church. Those who come to church who are part of Christ visibly but are not part of him spiritually. Let me repeat that again. Those who are part of Christ visibly like Judas. Even though Judas was selected by Christ he was never part of them. He was the son of the devil. He was a treasurer, but was never part of Christ. So that believers would not become, okay, oh, I, verse 3, he told them straight away, you are clean. And if you want to know about the preservation of the saints, read chapter 17. Read chapter 6 of John. All that my father, let me just help you quickly. Turn to chapter 6 of uh, the book of John. Chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. Uh, All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So go to chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them away or out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than that. That's talking about believers now. Believers are securely in the hands of, of Christ. That is those who have been saved. And being saved does come with its own indices. How do I know I am saved? I know I am saved because one day in my life, the Holy Spirit came upon me and convicted me of sin. And I knew that I am a sinner in need of a savior. I knew of the danger that I was involved. And then I ran to the savior and he saved me. And from that moment, I have a new life because of the new birth that took place. Now I hate sin. I love God. I love his people. I love his word. If these are not your realities, you are not born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So not everything that comes here is born again. Those who are born again are joined together with Christ. And Christ is admonishing them, warning them, stay with me, abide in me. And then bear fruits. And three occasions in this passage, he mentioned fruits, more fruits, and much fruits. So you bear fruits, you bear more fruits, you bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. Believers are saved and they are secure in the hand of God. As I close today, brothers and sisters, we've looked at who Jesus is in this picture. We've looked at who God is and who we are in this picture. Jesus is divine. It is those who are joined to him alone that are saved. They have life. If you are not in him, you don't have life. Might be a good person, might be a doctor, might be a nurse, might be a lawyer, a military person, whoever, the president. If you are not joined together with Christ, you are but a dry stick. You have no life in yourself. The father is the vine dresser. So the church of Jesus Christ is not an all-commerce affair. It's owned by God for the sake of the church. He sent his son to die. So he washed his church by the blood of his dear son. He looked upon this church with passion, with jealousy, and with expectation of fruitfulness. Who are we? We are not autonomous. We are not on our own. We are but branches. We are joined to Christ. And our livelihood and sustenance is dependent 
on to the extent of our being joined to Christ and how much nutrients we are drawing from him on a daily basis. Next time I'll talk to you how to abide. The Christ gave some, the, the, some of the part of my text that I'm not going to do, talk about, about prayer, about abiding in his love, about abiding in his world and all that stuff. Unless you are joined to him and you are taking care of those means of grace to remain joined to him, you will be in trouble. But I, I don't want to leave you hanging. Uh, let me give you some one point or two points of application before I let you go. Jesus said, without me, look at me now, you can do nothing. The first thing that came to my mind was, really? Of course we can do a lot of things without Jesus. I mean, without Jesus, we can eat. Unbelievers eat, true or false. I mean, without Jesus, without God, Adam and Eve spoke to serpents and they took of the fruit of the garden and they did eat. Without God, Cain was able to establish a city. Without God, Cain's descendants were able to innovate musical instruments and agricultural equipments. Without God, the Tower of Babel was imagined and went into construction. You can have degrees without God. In fact, I can say that many people in Harvard don't even know God exists. You can be a Nobel laureate like Wole Shoinka. Without God, Wole Shoinka is not a Christian. He does not believe God exists. He's a humanist. So you can do things. You can marry without God. You can, you can facilitate the production of children. Production, that's not the right word. You can, you, you can father children. You can mother children without God, without, without Jesus, without knowing him. What is he saying? That you can do nothing apart from me. What is it? Is it a shorter catechism? Question one. Say, what is the chief end of man? Answer. The chief end of man. Let me try again. What is the chief end of man? Church, answer. I think I need to catechize more than half of this church now. The chief end of man is to do what? Look at verse 8. He said, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, what the Bible is saying is it for us who are Christian. Whatever you do, if it is not an, an outflow of a relationship with Jesus, and if the goal in sight is not the glory of God, as far as the Bible is concerned, it's nothing. Let me try that again. Your wealth, your gettings, your beauty, your educations, 
if they are not for the sake of the glory of God, it is nothing. It's nothing. Because what counts in the final analysis is that this thing that I have done why in this life were done for God in the name of God by his instruction. I bore these fruits because I was connected to Christ. If I, the, the way the Puritans saw it is that you can't even bear fruit. We, we, we're sticks, we're dry wood. Apart from Christ, we have no life. So all the billionaires of this world and all the whatever of this world, as far as God is concerned, are doing nothing. You don't understand. Some of you does have businesses, personal business you run, and you have a construction company to construct roads from area one to Galadimawa. And then you mobilize them to do so. And then you travel to the US to come back. And then you came back a year later. And that construction company with your manager are somewhere in Kalishi doing something, building some road to some farms. For you, the owner of the company, what are they doing? What are they doing? There are some things we don't understand in this country. Let me help you as I close it. <clears throat> what I call, I think it was Dora Akwili that said corruption is not only about taking money. It is corruption when you are doing things that you ought not to do. <clears throat> Particularly, what they call misappropriation of fund. This money is meant for speaker. You went and bought a flower. It is called corruption. You have done nothing. Organ, Paris, refund. Pay salary. Where the money is in sterling bank. I want to yield interest for my people. Oh, guy, you are doing nothing. And then before we catch you, you say you are doing flyover. I'm not calling anybody's name. You are doing nothing. You buy a Lamborghini this morning, and then you turn it into a one-bedroom apartment. You are doing nothing. It's not serving its purpose. The only reason why we exist is at the pleasure of the Almighty God. Anything thou art worthy, O God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created how many things? All things. And for your pleasure they were made. So a man Blessed by God with four wives and 28 children, hoping to have two more before next year, is doing nothing. It's a waste. 
and guess what? It's cut off from God. Dry, they will gather sinners on the last day, and then they'll be burned in the lake of fire. My question to you this morning is, are you abiding in Christ? Are you joined with Christ? Are there evidence? Are there fruitfulness to show that I am a believer? Are there fruits of a change, new life in Christ Jesus? Am I acting, talking, walking towards the direction of God? If that answer is yes today, praise God. You will bear more fruit and much fruit. Two souls become four souls. Four souls become 20 souls. 20 souls become 100 souls. I was giving an example of Paul Washer here last week. Paul Washer is in America. Every single country you've been in Africa today, and you meet a genuine Christian, they will tell you they'll be listening to Paul Washer. They will tell you, I came to faith because I listened to Paul Washer. One man. One man. If you are a Christian, show me your fruits. No fruits, you are not a Christian. No fruits of the Holy Spirit. No evidence of the Holy Spirit. My friend, you are not a Christian. And today is the day of salvation. You can run to him for salvation today. Those who are joined with, joined with him, to him, who will bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, to the glory of God. By this, my Father will be glorified, that you bear much fruit, and then prove that you are my disciples. Father, I have just opened up this matter before your people. Grant that we may live here today and ask ourselves great questions and thus be encouraged and be chastised and be disciplined to be to be all that you've made us to be in Christ Jesus. Bless the rest of our day, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.